electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And welcome to Overtime. I'm Scott Wadner. You just heard the bells. We're just getting started here in OT. The Fed has now spoken in just a few minutes. One of the top investors in the world, Double Line Capital's Jeffrey Gunlock, will be here to have his say on what the Fed did and, most importantly, what happens now. Our talk of the tape, the brave new world for investors, where your money goes from here. What a finish to the day. Let's welcome in some familiar faces, Josh Brown and Loop Capital President Courtney Gibson. It's great to have both of you in overtime. As I said, what a finish. And it was a classic sort of post-Fed reaction. Take a little bit of time. And then we finished on the highs of the day court. Should we feel better at this moment about stocks or worse? Well, Scott, so good to see you at the end of my day. Um, You know, at the end of this, what do I always say? The markets hate uncertainty. Regardless of whether or not we had priced in seven hikes going into this or not, whether we priced in five, six, three, whatever you want to think about, I think the market had it priced in around five, the market doesn't like uncertainty. So we needed to make sure exactly what the Fed was going to do and be very, very clear on how the Fed was thinking. And I think that Jay Powell did an incredible job messaging and signaling what we've known for months. I mean, how much more leading into this did you need to know? Now, obviously, there were some some challenges around the geopolitical issues that are going on, humanitarian crisis, in addition to, obviously, an economic potential crisis. Um, But ultimately, this is much better for stocks to know that we're at 25 pips here and that the Fed will use their flexibility as we move forward to obviously combat one of their focuses, okay. which is price stability and inflation. So, it's interesting you use the word flexibility, Josh. Was it that flexible? Make no mistake, this was a hawkish Fed today. Was Jay Powell soothing the word of the moment? It appears in his news conference, perhaps. It's a hawkish Fed, which is why I ask whether we should really feel better or worse about stocks. How do you see it now that the Fed has spoken? So normally these things are televised, uh, uh, telegraphed it well in advance, especially the first hike of a cycle. The Fed in recent years has gone out of its way to over-communicate when there would be some sort of a shift in policy. But this time really takes the cake, so much so, in fact, that the, the bond market had already done seven rate hikes for the Fed in advance of us even getting to this place. Um, I think most rational people uh, about nine, nine months, let's say, ago were screaming for, for t- a taper of the asset purchasing. There was absolutely no benefit to having mortgage rates be 20% below uh, their average. If the, if the average price of a home was 20% above, uh, of course, that's unsustainable. Uh, there were just a whole host of things along the way that told rational, rational people that the Fed was behind. They should speed up. They should speed up. All right, fine. What's, what's done is done. Now we're here. So now the Fed has to taper into essentially World War III being a coin flip away. Uh, I don't think that that's what they wanted to do, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen a Fed have to do this kind of thing. And when I say have to, I mean literally have no choice. At gunpoint, have to continue to raise rates. 
into a situation where there could be a global, global conflagration on the ground in, in, on the continent of Europe. But that's where we are. So today's nice, up 500 points, the banks rallied, the fangs rallied. I love it. You love it. But in reality, this is like oh, a oh. very suboptimal uh, way to kick off a rate hike cycle. Wait a minute. Look, I'll, you, I'll, you I'll get to you in a, a sec. No, 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 no. I'm going to get to you. No, 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 no. I want to jump in because you had a blog post no, today. I will get to you. Which asked the question, <laughs> which asked the question whether we have enough for a bottom. You say, one, oil way off its high. Number two, China uh, putting a bottom in the tech stock decline. And then three, get the, get the rate hike out of the way. Your blog <laughs> sounds a little more optimistic than your words do here. You got it. You got it. You got it. Look, look today. Look at yesterday and today. You got what you needed. Keep in mind, keep in mind, we were talking about Chinese stocks being liquidated to zero and being repatriated to Hong Kong 24 hours ago. That now looks like it's not necessarily going to happen, at least not yet. The Chinese are masterful at manipulating their own stock market. They did it to us this time. OK, you had a lot of shorts get squeezed there. That's that's helpful. That's that's very helpful for the tape. That had been one of the landmines that all of us had been dancing around in the professional asset management community. The Fed today, get that done. Agree. That's great. What we really need is a ceasefire and some sort of a lasting, uh, let's just say, discussion happening in Europe rather than escalation. And until then, everything that we just saw today, it's it's happy talk. People are, are absolutely kidding themselves. I honestly believe it's only me and Bill Ackman being rational about how bad things could potentially get militarily. And I honestly don't believe that the market can sustainably put in a real bottom until we know what's going to be there. Um, and we don't. We're very far okay. away from there, unfortunately. Courtney, so, so that's what I think the real backdrop is. I got you. I'm looking at the Nasdaq with a tremendous gain, and I want to see some of the stocks in overtime, too, to see if they're continuing this move. I'm talking about some of the higher valuation ones, whether it's the ARC ones, even the mega caps. This rally in the Nasdaq um, into the close today, do you think that it's sustainable? Is it okay now to buy tech stocks? The market seems to suggest over the past couple of days it is. Do you think it is? I absolutely do, personally, and, you know, I just got a note from uh, Chris Levin on my trading desk, just talking about the volumes that we're seeing. And we are three to one better to buy. We were today in tech, in healthcare, in financials, those names that have just been battered and beaten down. Now, I just gave you general sectors, but our clients are picking stocks here and they're picking them at levels that you just can't pass by. When I think about when I was adding, I told you a month ago, Scott, I said, I was sitting on our, my hands with our clients, which happen to be institutional clients, just sitting on my hands. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to buy. I don't want to sell. But where valuations have gone, where this market has co- had come into, you had to buy, especially if you were a long-term investor like I am and many of our clients are at Loop Capital. And so at the end of the day, you nibbled a little bit, and we did nibble a bit here. And, and as I said, on our desk, we were three to one better to buy on our equity desk today, and corporate bonds are ripping. I mean, you, you nibbling on the Facebook, uh, Meta, one of your biggest holdings. What about PayPal? That stock's been hit really hard. I'm nibbling on all of those. I mean, you getting Facebook below $200 is a steal. I was at a conference this past week. As you know, I sit on a couple of corporate boards, and there were three areas of focus, Ukraine and Russia, right? Um, Thinking about the dollar and whether or not it'll be reserve currency, but that's a conversation for another day. And the third was how are your companies adapting and thinking about the metaverse? 
the metaverse. And I mean, these are companies in this room that ranged from some of the largest companies on the planet down to some smaller names. But you have got to know that Facebook and the Zuck are a force to be reckoned with. All right. Well, they're not going to be making money off the metaverse. That's like a pipe dream at this point. So, But I hear you. Josh Brown, last question goes to you. The financials, another big big mover um, today. Higher rates, good for the financials. It's really slowing economy, not good for the financials. If if Jay Powell was soothing anywhere, it was his comments about the economy being pretty strong. You could have a, dare I say, perfect environment for financials and rising rates, but yet strong enough economy. Am I right or wrong? Well, look, what you have in your favor with the financials is that the real economy is still very good. And the consumer has a very strong balance sheet still. Uh, and corporate balance sheets are still very strong. Capital markets are healthy. That does bode well for the, for the large cap banks. I think it makes sense that they rallied today. But again, this is a shifting situation. And we just saw February uh, retail sales disappoint. Uh, fortunately, January was revised higher. Talk to me when we see March numbers. I think they're going to be atrocious. I don't think that your average person gets their 401k statement for the first quarter of this year and is happy, then looks at what their bill is to heat their home, then looks at what it costs them at the pump to fill their car, and says to themselves, hey, you know what I feel like doing? I feel like going buying more stuff at Lulu and maybe subscribing to nine more apps I can watch movies on. It ain't going to be that way. So if you lose the consumer, and consumer confidence, according to all the surveys, is already nosediving. If you lose the consumer, you're in big trouble, because that really is the thing that's been holding us up now, um, despite a lot of a lot of headwinds. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Last thing, we did uh, 17 rate hikes in the cycle two times ago. Last time we got to nine before the yield curve inverted. Uh, and everything went to hell, and the Fed had the reverse course. You think we're getting to, to nine this time? I would bet you not. Not nope. in a slowing economy. Uh, I, I don't think so. So Scott. a lot of what we should expect on the rate side may have already been priced in, which is shocking considering how early we are in we the actual it. rate hikes themselves. Court, you got to be quick if you want the last word because i got to bounce. i, I got to come in on two things. Inelastic demand. And people buying right now, a Lulu, uh, as you know, and I'll take that jab, Josh, it's not a demand problem, it's a supply problem. And when you think about where wages are right now and unemployment, that's almost non-existent, people have money to spend. They're just trying to wait on some stability in the geopolitical space and where they are. Jobs are there. The consumer's doing well. All right. Feisty and good. That's how we like it. Courtney, thank you. Josh Brown. Our thanks to you. We'll see you again in overtime, I'm sure. Our Twitter question now in OT. We want, you to, we want to know from you, will the S&P 500 be higher or lower by the next Fed decision on May 4th? You can head to at CNBC Overtime. Please cast your vote. We'll read the results at the end of the show. Now to our overtime exclusive. Double Line Capital's Jeffrey Gunlock is with us live to react to what the Fed just said and what the Fed just did. Jeffrey, welcome back. It's great to have you on the new program. Yeah, nice to be on your new show, Scott. Congratulations. Thanks so much. So you heard the Fed. They've spoken. It's your turn. What do you think? Well, the Fed follows the two-year Treasury, and I've been saying this for years and years. I don't know if your viewers can see this chart here, but it's a chart of the Fed funds rate in red and the two-year Treasury in blue. And so look what the two-year Treasury in blue did starting fourth quarter of last year. It went up by, guess what? 
175 basis points. So what did the Fed do today? They said they're going to raise Fed funds by 175 basis points. And so uh, that's just them following again. And they're way behind. Uh, I was listening to the prior segment. You know, here's one more chart I'm going to give you. The blue line is wage growth, wages and salaries, and the employment cost index. The, the red line is Fed funds. The blue line is the wage growth. If you look carefully at that chart, the Fed follows wage growth historically. That chart goes back to 1985. This time, wage growth has exploded higher, and the Fed has been behind the curve. And I, I thought that Jay Powell uh, did an okay job today. He was a little bit of an equivocator. I think, thought it was better than the last time we were in this sort of a predicament, which was in the fourth quarter of 2018 when the Fed was raising rates and doing quantitative tightening. Um, I think the stock market was way oversold. I think commodities got way overbought. And so I'm not surprised that we've had relative market stability into this uh, Fed decision. Uh, and I expect that the oversold will continue to work its way uh, higher. In other words, stocks will go higher. I saw your question about will we be higher on the S&P at the next meeting. I, I think probably we will be. Over that time period, the we'll, stock market we'll was higher. very happy. I, I think we'll be happy higher because we're, we're we're oversold, and we didn't get the 50, which the market was fearing. I think, although I thought the probability of that was, was awfully low, and we didn't get any clarity on reducing the balance sheet. And I think that the the, the market kind of likes the fact that the party's going on. They sort of like the fact that the Fed is behind the curve uh, for now even though it means that they may have to accelerate and get in front of the curve. For now, rates are still really accommodative and the Fed didn't do the 50 and they're, they're not shrinking the balance sheet yet. I think the market will roll over once the Fed raises rates a couple more times. And if they start the roll off, which he sort of alluded to being the base case at the next meeting, uh, I think that's when you've got the double whammy. At least he didn't pull the 2018 thing of autopilot. Uh, he, he tried to have some flexibility. He, 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 came, he gave the impression of autopilot, but he didn't say it. And I think he even said the word flexible or nimble or something like that. And so, so the, the market likes that over, over this office oversold. So the, the median Fed official now sees seven hikes um, this year, right? So six more for the remainder of the year. Does that, that sound right to you? Is it too aggressive? Not, not aggressive enough? Uh, too late. We, we, we know it's too late. But how do you see where the, the, the Fed sees things today in terms of the number of rate hikes that we now expect? When we visited about a month ago at the Super Bowl, you said probably five or so was the number. This appears to be more aggressive. And make no mistake, this was a hawkish Fed today. It was definitely on the hawkish side. We tried to uh, thread the needle, but it, it was too hard to do. So it was a little bit hawkish. I'm just going to say it one more time, Judge. The Fed follows the two-year Treasury. Two-year Treasury went up 175 basis points. Now they're talking seven hikes. Uh, the two-year Treasury has gone a lot higher in yield since we met on February 11th. And so it's totally appropriate for the Fed to be adjusting that higher. But the one thing, I heard a lot of discussion about financials, and it relates to where we are in the cycle. I think Josh Brown really nailed it. And that is, we're starting this Fed hike cycle with a very flat yield curve. Typically, when people say financials are good for the first three or four rate hikes, uh, that's because the curve starts out steeper than where we are right now. The curve twos to tens is basically puts you on recession watch 
when it's inside of 50 basis points. And it gets you on a really big recession watch when you get down to flat. We're right exactly in the middle at 25 basis points. And that is an incredibly flat yield curve given uh, where we are in terms of the absolute rate level versus the inflation rate and, and the whole thing. Also, investors should look at 530s, the yield spread between the five-year treasury and the 30-year treasury. Same deal. You're on recession watch when you're inside of 50, and when it inverts, you're pretty much on your way to recession. Well, same thing as, as twos, tens. We're right there in the middle. But the, the, the big message of the market today that people haven't really talked about is that the 30-year treasury bond rallied. The 30-year treasury bond one year ago was basically at exactly the same level as it is today. The attitude about Fed policy has changed so mightily in the last year, and its 30-year Treasury rate is unchanged. Interest rates in Europe have gone up on 10-year Treasuries uh, by a fair amount from a year ago. They've also gone up in Japan, but not the United States. All we've done is flatten the curve. And that puts us later in the cycle, I, I think, because as people have said correctly, the bond market has done the tightening. They're following the two-year. And the flatness of the yield curve at these rate levels is something that is going to be problematic. But again, the market is working off an oversold. When the VIX gets towards 40, I've, I've just gotten to the point in my career where I've seen this movie so many times. When the VIX gets above 35, I don't care how bad the tape looks. I don't care how bad the geopolitics look. You're supposed to get more bullish, not more bearish. And you get an oversold bounce. And the market was very oversold, particularly NASDAQ, and commodities were very overbought. One thing on the inflation, inflation has surprised everybody to the upside just about, and it's going to remain sticky, but you are going to get some relaxation on inflation. You're going to have these base effects. It's a, it's a true narrative that you have huge month-over-month -month increases that are coming in several months from now, and it's likely that we're going to see the over-year inflation rate go down somewhat. So that might give the Fed a little bit of, 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 a, of a tailwind and not have to work so hard. But Jay Powell said, said, powerful tools, using our tools, we're going to use our tools, we're going to bring the inflation rate down. So you're right to, to coin that, uh, to, to frame that as a, as a hawkish meeting. Yeah, 10% um, inflation is what you recently said you thought the projection would be. Are you sticking with that today or was that a little bit hyperbolic? It was a little hyperbolic. I actually said, uh, I think, nine and maybe 10. Um, I, I don't, I'm not even sure we're going to get a nine now because the commodity prices have come down a fair amount. Uh, that was really, that was at the moment that oil was at about $125 a barrel. And the decline from there has been uh, sufficient that it looks like we're going to get eight handle inflation. Um, we might even get it, you know, you know, in the next print and it might stay there for a couple of months. But I don't think we're going to have the same inflation rate for the full year 2022. I think it's going to be lower for the full year than it was in 2021, but not, not what the Fed is forecasting. We're not going to get low fours. We're not going to get mid fours. I think we're going to be talking about, uh, again, it's going to have a lot to do with the commodity complex, but I think we're going to be talking about something around high fives inflation for 2022, which is still not close to the Fed's uh, stated target all the way down to 2%. So one thing I want to talk about is there's a way to project what the yield curve will look like in a year using, well, the one-year forward curve of the Treasury market. It's pretty wonky, but it, it predicts one year from now that the two-year Treasury will be at 250, and every other rate along the yield curve will be at 250. Now, I, I, I respect the bond market message, of course, but I think that's too high. I, I think, actually, the yield curve will be flat 
but it won't even be as high as 250. So we've already seen, I think, the peak potentially in the 30-year Treasury bond because it just doesn't go up in yield in spite of all of the changes we've seen macroeconomically and with the Fed. We're just getting a flatter and flatter curve. So the, the, the strange thing is that this year, year to date, we've had highly correlated S&P 500 stocks and Treasury market and the bond market broadly. Unfortunately, it's correlated on the downside. So stocks down, you know, 10, 12 percent uh, through yesterday, some down much more than that. Bond funds, even some that call themselves core bond funds, there are some that are down 9, 10 percent total return year to date. Not mine, thankfully, but, you know, just a bond market index is down, you know, 5 percent. So the 60-40 mix that people traditionally have, and I think they've probably wandered from that in recent years, but that 60-40 mix is a pretty lousy return for the first quarter. It, it might get a little bit better in the final two weeks. Uh, but uh, I think what Josh Brown said again, I thought he made some good points. I think he said that when people get their statement, they're not going to be happy. And uh, that, that, could, that could lead to uh, the next, you know, some some volatility as we enter the month of, of April. Sure, so let me ask you this. Do you do you think we're going to have a recession? And are you more or less confident today that the Fed can actually pull this off in part because of what you said about inflation actually coming down a bit, not to target clearly, but certainly not going the opposite direction any any steeper? It's a really bad bet to count on the Fed engineering a, a, a soft landing in this kind of environment with the curve partially inverted, but let's just call it quite flat at this low yield level. I I just don't see it. And again, I can't reiterate enough. This balance sheet tapering or or shrinkage is going to be correlated with a a significant headwind for the S&P 500. I've talked about this for years, that there's a tremendous correlation between the size of the Fed's balance sheet, which is now just under $9 trillion, and the market capitalization of the S&P 500. And we talked about how that was going to be supportive back last summer. That was going to be supportive into year end. But now we're going the other way. We've got the Fed raising interest rates. And the great Marty Zweig used to say, rule number one, don't fight the Fed. Rule number two, see rule number one. And the Fed is raising rates sequentially as a base case, and they're going to be tapering. And that means multiple contraction is going to continue. And uh, this is going to be, I, I don't think we're going to go back to the highs of, of the year of the stock market. I, I think we're going to be higher in May, but I think we've seen the high of the year with this, with the Fed and the yield curve and the consumer sentiment uh, being pretty soft. Although I will say something on the consumer sentiment. I know I noticed somebody commented that it was in a free fall, and that's true from the University of Michigan, but it's really because of autos and housing. And autos are up so much that people realize that it's a very uh, uneconomic time to buy a vehicle. And housing is up 30% on the national median over the last two years. It's, it's just possible that uh, this, the sentiment will get a little bit better if the inflation numbers start to peak out. And if we can just get that inflation rate below six, it's possible that the recession gets forestalled. I don't, I don't have a base case of a recession this year, but I do think that we'll probably get one in 2023. OK, Jay Powell talked about that, too, doesn't see it this year either. Um, not that he's going to come out and say it today for certain, but you get my point. Jeffrey, sit tight. We'll take a quick break. I'll come back with Jeffrey Gunlock. Get more uh, opportunities on where to put your money. Don't go anywhere. Overtime is back in just two minutes.
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story. Asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Overtime. More of my exclusive conversation with Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gundlach. We've had a lot of big hitters on the network uh, this week. Jeffrey Scott Minard among them who said, and we've talked a lot today about the two-year, and you mentioned the 30-year, but the 10-year, he thought maybe the yield was topping out in his words. Two to two and a quarter was the range he saw. You agree with that? I think the long end, as I referenced in the first segment, I, I think the long end uh, it saw its peak last year. I mean, the long bond was, was up substantially higher than, than at, at its peak, where it is right now. Uh, and so I, I think broadly that the long end of the curve is reasonably safe place to be, which is a very strange thing for me to say, because the valuation of it is so terrible relative to inflation. You have a long bond, you know, below two and a half percent, you've got the inflation rate pushing eight percent. But uh, basically it's, it's because of the economic situation and the uncertainty and the, the relative comparison to other bonds in the world, even though that comparison has gotten less favorable for the United States. But I do think I do think that investors and we talk, we've been talking about this uh, in our, our, our get togethers, uh, Scott, for the past few times. That as weird as it sounds, I think investors should own long term treasuries as part of their portfolio. I own some long term treasuries as part of uh, my, my core strategies and even mm. my, my flagship fund, which is and we own the long ones because they will do well during a, tur- a turnover in the economy. And certainly if the inflation rate is, is rated lower as we move forward in the year. So I, I think those are okay. In fact, I, I think bonds broadly are sort of okay in spite of their bad valuation. In fact, one area that I uh, have not been very enthusiastic about for quite some time is the corporate bond market. The investment-grade corporate bond market, the yields have quietly been been uh, going up and going up faster than Treasury yields, which means their relative spreads are getting wider. And the balance sheets of corporate America are in great shape. The other thing that now has turned into a potential positive uh, with, the, with corporate bonds and longer-term Treasuries is that duration, interest rate risk, isn't, any, isn't, a, isn't a problem at the present time. So corporate balance sheets are in good shape. Corporate bonds have a very, uh, they have a lot of interest rate risk, which hasn't been good, but now it's not being that painful. They have a duration, the LQD ETF at times has a duration of 10, which means it has more interest rate risk than even the 10-year treasury. 
but they've gotten cheaper and, and uh, credit product broadly has gotten cheaper even as yields have gone up. So uh, until such time as there's a closer to a recession in view, I, I think it's a reasonable time to be moving into some of these areas that have been widening uh, kind of stealthily in the last several months. So now, this is very interesting. Uh, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish, finish your thought. My bad. I didn't mean to step on your toes. Well, that's all. That's, that's fine. I'm, I'm just saying that uh, uh, we, we've been we've been actually buying uh, some corporate debt and we, we had liked uh, bank loans in the junk bond market relative to regular high yield. But our answer on that has has really uh, neutralized. And now we're sort of favoring regular high yield more. I, I think that the, the investment business is always anticipatory. So everybody knew that the Fed was going to go on a sequential rate hike thing. And so the fact that that was going to happen got priced in the bank loan market. So BKLN, the bank loan ETF, held up until very recently far better than JNK, which is the ETF for junk bonds or, or high yield, so, so-called high yield bonds. I call them junk bonds because their yields aren't high. But mm-hmm. uh, but I think what's been happening in the le- in recent weeks is people are starting to realize that the Fed is priced into the market. The two-year Treasury is priced in all these rate hikes, and the bond market is saying that we're not going to get that much more of a yield increase on the two-year Treasury. Uh, it'll, it'll go higher, of course, uh, but I think the two-year Treasury even could be getting close to its peak for this cycle. I, the bond market says it's going to peak out around 250. As I said in the prior segment, I don't even think it's going that high. So at 2%, which we kissed today on the two-year, yeah. uh, what's wrong with the two-year treasury? I mean, it's, it's very low risk. It matures in two years. Uh, it's, probably a good pl- it's probably a good time to have dry powder sometime in the next two years if you're going into recession. But just shorter duration product in general uh, that has very little interest rate risk. And I- I've been talking in the past with you, Scott, of having cash. And these days, I think you're better off in the two-year treasury than you are in cash, because it's going to take, take time for cash to get your yield up to that 2% level where the two-year is. So a barbell in the bond market uh, is, is sort of interesting, uh, where you own sort of the short end and the long end, because there is really no yield difference. You own them for totally different reasons, but both of them have, have, a, a, have a spot in a portfolio. I, I love the fact that you're giving our viewers in overtime some real actionable Advice, But I have to say, in listening to you talk for the past several minutes, I don't know what was in your breakfast this morning. You're more positive on a lot of things than I expected you, frankly, to be. You think stocks can go up until May. You're suggesting that bonds can be a good investment. So bonds and stocks can go up at the same time. You talk fairly favorably about high yield in certain opportunities. And you even think inflation is going to come down even, albeit slightly. That's a much more positive, if you want to call it that picture, than, frankly, Jeffrey, I expected from you. Well, Judge, I'm old school. When you mark down the NASDAQ 20 percent, I like it better. I, I don't like buying stuff what's an all-time high and a massively stretched valuation. I didn't like junk bonds at all, uh, you know, uh, several months ago. I didn't like corporate bonds because their spreads were too tight. But when the market reprices, you've got to you've got to reallocate your thinking, your portfolio. So on a really big picture thing, I want to show the viewers two more charts. The one I've been talking about, European stocks versus U.S. And here's the chart. When the blue line is going up, that's the S&P 500 outperforming Europe. And when the blue line stops going up, which happened back in 2020, almost two years ago, Europe has performed in line, even even lately, which is sort of shocking given how much 
exposure Europe has to this to this war that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. And yet, yeah, they underperformed briefly when the invasion started, but they basically snapped back and have been in line with U.S. stocks. So I kind of still think that you have a, a reason to be longer term allocating. And one last slide, which is the NASDAQ versus uh, the S&P 500. When the blue line is going up, the NASDAQ is outperforming. This was the dot com thing. This is now. And we've and we've rolled over. So I think that the NASDAQ is uh, not the place to be for the short term. Yes, because it's oversold. But if you're truly an investor, I'm not talking about between now and May here. I'm talking about looking forward to 2023 and beyond. I think you want to uh, want to avoid these greatly overvalued momentum stocks. And I also think that the investors should potentially think about investing in emerging market equity gradualistically. It's volatile as all get out. But well, I think I, I think ultimately it's going to be a strong perform for a multi-year horizon and it's cheap. So, so you said at the Super Bowl when I talked to you about emerging markets that, and I think you said it, it almost exactly, you hadn't start buying it. You didn't start buying it yet. It's okay to start, you know, averaging into it. Have you started doing that yourself in emerging markets? No, I have not. I've not bought uh, emerging market equity. I, I really, one of the reasons is that to, for the emerging market trade to really work, you need the dollar to go down. And the dollar is, is uh, on a flight to quality bid. And it's also bid up because the yield curve flattening is a, the, one of the best short-term indicators of the direction of the dollar. So the yield curve flattening leads to a higher dollar and the yield curve steepening tends to lead to a weaker dollar. So with the yield curve flattening, uh, the dollar has maintained a bid and with the geopolitics. So the trade I'm talking about with emerging markets is one you want to invest for your grandchildren's college education. It's one where you want to buy it systematically. Uh, I'm not in any hurry to start doing it, but I don't think it's foolish to start doing it. I'm just being being more, you know, I watch this stuff like a hawk day in and day out. Uh For somebody that has a real, for somebody that has a real job, they might want to put in something systematic. You can't watch it tick by tick. But I'm, uh, I will observe that emerging markets have also stopped underperforming, uh, in spite of all of this upheaval. Also, emerging market debt, ex Russia, uh, is is has widened out a fair amount stealthily as well. It's about 450 basis points over over Treasuries, and that's widened by by a fair amount. So emerging market debt is uh, something we've been cautious on. And thankfully, for uh, various reasons, we were extraordinarily underweight in, in Ukraine, Russia and the like. So we've managed to sidestep that banana peel. But I do mm-hmm. think that a lot of these things that have widened out, I'm expecting some, some stability. Uh, as a trader, you want to be increasing risk. As an investor, and I mean investor, I mean two plus year horizon, you actually want to use this, this period of strength to reduce risk. Okay, let me ask you finally before I let you run. Bitcoin or gold in this new environment that we're now in, we at least have a little more certainty on where the Fed path looks to be. What would I rather own today if I'm watching this program, Bitcoin or gold or crypto? Or you could take crypto in general or gold. Well, I use, I use Bitcoin. Um, you know, Bitcoin has fallen into a range with the high end being 60,000 and the low end being 40,000. And it seems like every time we get together, it's either at 60 or at 40. 
Uh, last time it was at 40, so it hasn't moved since That's then. True. The time before that it was at 60. So with the range of 40 to 60 and gold being in a range that's sort of, I don't know, let's call it 1750 to 2000, uh, gold is, is sort of in the middle of its range. Bitcoin is at the low end of its range. So I would take, or now through, uh, through the next Fed meeting, I will take Bitcoin over gold. Ah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, look, look I, mean, I appreciate you can't believe all this positive stuff I'm saying. Yeah, but exactly. It's, 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 for the, it's for the short term. Again, I haven't, I, yeah. my long term view is, is still that we're in a debt disaster situation. And the only way out is to monetize or to default. That's always going to be the case. The mathematics just doesn't work with paying off $168 trillion of unfunded liabilities with a $24 trillion nominal GDP. That's still coming. And it's coming in the next recession, unfortunately. That's when that's when right. the dollar goes down. So that's what I'm telling you. You, investors um, you gave us and, and our viewers a lot. That's that's for certain. Put the next Fed meeting down on your calendar. We want to have you back in overtime to digest and discuss that one too. Jeffrey Gunlock, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, Judge. Good luck, everybody. All right. All right, we'll see you soon. Up next, an OT alert. Stephanie Link making a few late-day trades. She's going to join us and tell us what she just bought. And don't forget to follow the Closing Bell podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back in a few. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com meeting demand. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back. We have an overtime earnings alert. There's the stock of Lennar. It's greater by 2%. They missed on earnings, beat on revenue. As you see, the stock is up. The conference call is tomorrow morning. Good thing for you. You don't have to wait until then to get insight from the CEO. Why? Because Diana Olick just got off the phone with Lennar's CEO, and she's going to join us in just a few moments with those comments. Again, tomorrow's news in overtime today. And uh, we look forward to doing that. It's time for a CNBC News update with Shepard Smith. Hey, Shep. News and Diana. I'm Shepard Smith. Scott, thank you. From the news on CNBC, here's what's happening. President Biden said last hour he thinks Vladimir Putin is a war criminal for his attacks in Ukraine. This appears to be the first time the president's labeled Putin that in public. The Kremlin fired back, calling the comments unacceptable and unforgivable. The Justice Department charging five people with stalking, harassing, and spying on Chinese Americans. The federal court unsealed three separate cases today. The feds accused the defendants of working for China's secret police and targeting people critical of the Chinese government. And a real tragedy on a West Texas highway. Six college golfers and their coach killed when a pickup truck collided with their van. Police say two other students critically injured. Texas Highway Patrol says the pickup drove into oncoming traffic and hit that van head on. The driver and the passenger of the pickup also killed. The golf team from the University of the Southwest in New Mexico. Investigators there say the exact cause of the crash still under investigation. 
Tonight, the cost of war in Mariupol, Ukraine, as the only two international journalists left in that city document the scale of human tragedy. On the news, right after Jim Cramer, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Judge, back to you. All right, Shep, we'll be there. Thank you very much, Shepard Smith. Up next, we have an OT alert. Stephanie Link jumping on the CNBC Newsline with some late-day buys that she's making. you got to hear about that, where she's putting her money. Overtime's back right after this. I told you we had an overtime alert with Stephanie Link. She's making some moves in her portfolio. Joins us now on the Newsline. What are you doing, Steph? Hey, Scott. How are you doing? So I'm, um, I'm buying Bank of America and Target. Bank of America is down 15% from its highs. It's now trading at a more reasonable valuation times book. It is a rate-sensitive play. I think net interest income could grow 15% in 2022, which is better than what people expect. But I like their diversified revenue mix with Apple markets and fees. They're very disciplined on cost structure. We're going to see their cost be flat in 2022. So that's the definition of operating leverage we talk about all the time. Liquidity up 24% last quarter on a sequential basis. It's the second highest on record. They've got a lot of flexibility uh, to continue to grow. And so this is quality on sale. Um, Target is the other one. It's down 18% from its highs. It trades at 15 times earnings. Best-in-class retailer. Their algorithm is consistent. Low single-digit comps, mid-single-digit op income, and high single-digit earnings. I like the mix of consumables and discretionary. And don't forget, they beat earnings and they raised guidance last quarter and the stock is down 18% from the highs. So they also have a $10 billion buyback for, uh, versus 2 to $3 billion pre-COVID. So another one that's mm-hmm. quality on sale. I'll continue to buy this one. I appreciate you giving us the lowdown, Steph. We'll see you back on the half. That's Stephanie Link uh, joining us in overtime. Lennar shares, I told you, they're higher by a couple percentage points in overtime. The conference call is out tomorrow. You don't have to wait, though. I said Diana Olick just spoke with the company's chairman. Those comments are coming up next. There's the stock now even higher, 3%. We're back after this. All right, we're back in overtime. Lennar up 3% in the OT on earnings. The call isn't until tomorrow morning. Doesn't matter because Diana Olick spoke with the chairman today. What did he tell you, Di? Well, Scott Stewart Miller wanted to make clear that while Lennar missed on earnings per share, EPS would have been just over a dollar per share higher, excluding mark-to-market losses. And those losses stem from Lennar's heavy investments in startups, things like 3D printing and iBuying, which Miller says is core to the business. He said housing demand still very strong. I, of course, asked about rising mortgage rates, and he said interest rates have clearly moved up. But even with the move in interest rates, wages are moving up. The cost of rentals have been moving up. And therefore, a fixed rate mortgage on an owned home remains the best protection against inflation. And buyers continue to buy. So, Scott, he is not worried about rising rates. Not yet. Diana Olick getting tomorrow's news tonight. We appreciate that. That's Diana Olick down in Washington for us. After the break, Santoli's last word, reacting to something he heard from Jeffrey Gunlock. We'll be right back. All right, it's time again for Santoli's last word. What do you have for us today? Well, lots of good stuff in the Jeffrey Gunlack interview, lots of great market feel. But I, I did have to take exception to his uh, positioning of uh, the Fed just following what the two-year Treasury yield is doing. Now, yes, that's true. But why does the two-year Treasury yield do what it does? It's because the Fed 
tells the market where it's headed. Last November, two-year Treasury yield, 0.4% in early November. We got hot CPI reads. We had every Fed official coming out saying, we're stopping the taper, the QE earlier. We're raising rates more. That's what got the two-year note to where it is right now. Uh, and I think more broadly, it explains why the market has priced in a fair bit of financial condition tightening going into this meeting. Perhaps one of the reasons the market powered through what, what really was a relatively hawkish press conference by Powell uh, and did not uh, back off too much. So the Fed sets the expectations for the bond market and expectations maybe is your word of the day because yeah. we got what we expected and that's why we finished so much higher in the, we the did stock largely. market. And also an oversold market and yeah. also good stuff on Ukraine. So you, you don't necessarily know why the market does what it does. Tomorrow morning might be a cleaner week. All right. That's Santoli's last word. Thank you. All right. Coming up next, your two minute drill. We're back right after this. All right, let's get the results of our overtime Twitter poll. Optimism, 61% of you say the S&P is higher by the next Fed decision. There it is, 61 to 39. We appreciate you taking part. Follow us at CNBC Overtime so you can vote in this poll every day. It's time now for our two-minute drill. And guess who? Courtney Gibson is back with us. What's the first stock you want to talk about with two minutes to go, Court? Well, let's see. How about, uh, you know, you brought up PayPal. Why don't we touch on PayPal for a minute? You know, I think investors have become incredibly cautious about fintechs and technology companies for a myriad of reasons. But PayPal has just been brutally, brutally hit uh, over this past year. And I think they're best positioned to actually take advantage of the ecosystem and fintech um, as we move forward. So that name is a name I love. And you're getting in here as a long-term investor, you will be very pleased with this position. Okay. I mean, it's look, it's one of these stocks that has gotten absolutely crushed, right, in the higher valuation, high growth universe. And, you know, the next stock you got is SoFi, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So SoFi is another one where, again, a leader in kind of this neobank situation that we have going on here. I mean, and SoFi, with more recently becoming a bank holding company, is positioning in itself to not only diversify its business away from what we see in student loans, but into under other lending opportunities. And I think that they are absolutely poised to grow from here. Again, just been a bloodbath in that name over time. Uh, I got in under $9, and that's a name that, you know, we will see north of the 20s very, very soon and call it the next 12 months or so, assuming we continue right. on the path of All right. So you, you heard me ask Gunlock, gold or, or Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin. You like Coinbase. Tell me why now. Well, Scott, you gave me an out on that one. You know I love to pivot. So from a diversification perspective, um, I personally in my portfolio, and nor do we at Loop Capital Markets trade in Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of the um, the cryptocurrencies, but I do like coin as a publicly traded exchange. When you look okay, at you got the 10 global, seconds. Crypto, global crypto and coin as a diversification play to play on crypto, but allowing you uh, in a little bit to the exchange stability and uh, they're a winner. Okay. All right. Great stuff. You beat the two-minute show. You did. We'll see you next time in overtime. Don't miss tomorrow's show. We have another big lineup. Eminence Capital founder and CEO Ricky Sandler, Nancy Davis of Quadratic as well. Fast Money is now. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. 
Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.